Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with returning to the Lord as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Chapter 30, it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee. And you call to mind among the nations whether the Lord thy God has driven you. In other words, when you're driven out of the land and you're in captivity and then you remember what God has said. And you shall return to the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. You and your children with all of your heart and with all of your soul Then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. And if any of thine be driven out unto the utmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, from thence will he fetch thee. Now in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 31, we find this prophecy of Jesus declaring that its fulfillment will take place when he returns in his glory. When the Son of Man shall return in his glory, then shall the angels go throughout the four quarters of the heaven, gathering together God's people back into the land. His elect. So that that elect of Matthew 24 does not refer to the church as some who say the church is going to go through the great tribulation, do teach. But it is a direct fulfillment of this prophecy that relates to the nation Israel when the Lord returns as the Messiah. Then he's going to gather those who have been driven out to the various parts of the earth back into the land from the four quarters of the earth. And his elect will be drawn back into the land in a direct fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus relates to this in Matthew 24, 31. That is why those who emphasize their ministry in the New Testament often become confused as to Israel, its destiny, and as to the church because they take the scriptures that God has applied to Israel and they try to apply them to the church, and they get all mixed up because they don't have the Old Testament background to see where this particular prophecy is a direct quotation almost of the prophecy. It's a direct reference to this prophecy in Deuteronomy, the book that Jesus quoted the most. And when you see it there, you realize the elect of Matthew 24 who are gathered together after the tribulation of those days cannot be the church but is is the fulfillment here in Deuteronomy. Now the Lord thy God will then circumcise your heart and the heart of your children to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul that you may live. And so at that time, God will just deal with a man's heart and take away the fleshly desires and so forth out of his heart. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and statutes which are written in the book of the law. So over and over and over again, 
Moses is talking to them about the commandments, the importance of keeping the commandments in the same in verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say who will go up for us into heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that you may do it. So God has given his word, and he has given his word in understandable terms. And not only that, he has put it in your heart and in your mouth. And any time a person says, well, I know I should not have done that, he is testifying to the fact that God has put his word, his commandment in his heart. How do I know I shouldn't have done that? Well, I just know inside. God has put his law within my heart. The commandment is there. I know when I do right. I know when I do wrong. I know when I fail to do right. Oh, I know I should have done that. I knew all the time I should have done that. Of course you do, because the commandment is there in your heart. And with your mouth, you're only testifying to the fact that the commandment is there in your heart. You know in your heart what is right, what is wrong. I know I ought to serve God. I know I ought to commit my life completely to God. I know I should commit this situation to the Lord. Then why don't you? If you know. And you do know. God hasn't hid himself in some kind of mystic obscurity so that you have to be some kind of a mystic and go into some kind of a trance and leave your body and project your spirit out into the heaven someplace where God might there speak to you in the hollow chamber with an echoing voice so that you'll know the word and the will of God for your life. Neither is he across the sea someplace in a monastery in Tibet or in some high place in India with a guru sitting in a little shed spreading his divine light. But the word of God is very close to you, extremely close to you. The commandment of God is very close to you. It's actually in your heart, and God has there written his law so that you know within your heart when you've done the right thing, you know when you've done the wrong thing. And you confess it with your mouth. So often I say, I should not have done that. I know it. So often I say, I should do this. I know I should. Therefore, I am not innocent. I am guilty. Because he who knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. My failure to do that which I know I should do is sin. I know it. It's in my heart. Now, Paul the Apostle takes this passage quotes it in Romans 10. And there, as he quotes this passage, again he says, Say not, 
that it is in heaven that someone should ascend to bring it down or in the depths that someone should have to descend to bring it up or beyond the sea that someone has to bring it back. But the word of God is nigh unto thee. Yes, it is close to you. It is even in your heart and in your mouth. For, now Paul adds this, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now Paul goes ahead and takes this same passage and he shows how close every man is to salvation. Salvation is just as near as your heart and your mouth. Salvation is something that you cannot achieve or attain by climbing up to heaven. You can't go across the sea and kill the seven-headed dragon and steal the seven golden apples in order to be saved. It isn't salvation isn't some difficult experience that you can achieve only by tremendous effort and ability. But salvation is so close and so easy that no one is without excuse. For it's as close as your mouth and your heart. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness, and with the heart man believes unto salvation. That's how close any one of you are. You say, oh, I feel like I'm a, a, a million miles from God. I feel like God is so far away. No, God is very near to you. I feel like I'm so far from salvation. No, you're very close to salvation but you don't know the life I've been living. I don't care about the life you've been living. I don't want to know it. I do know that any one of you can be saved in this very moment if you will just confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you would just now say, Oh, Lord, take over my life. I surrender my life to you. Take it over now. That he would. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. You'll be saved. That's just how close you are. You see, believing is a matter of choice. And you can choose to believe now, or you can choose not to believe. You can choose to believe that Jesus did rise from the dead, thus attesting to the truth of what he declared, that he was indeed the Son of God who came down to bear the sins of man in order that he might give to us eternal life who believe in him. And the resurrection capped the thing off. It made the hope for eternal life a living hope, more than just a hope. He gave substance to the hope by the resurrection. Or you can choose to believe that he didn't rise from the dead. That somehow the disciples gave some spiked 
drinks to the guards, and after they passed out, they heaved hoe on the stone, and they stole the body of Jesus, took it off someplace else, buried it where nobody could find it, and then got together and made up a big story about finding the tomb empty and the linen clothes in which Jesus was wrapped, all there in a form, but no body in it, and that they made a pact between themselves that they would stick to this story, that no one would squeal or tell the plot, even if they were put to death, and that all of them went to their deaths with this lie with the exception of John, who died of old age. But the rest of them all went to violent deaths for this lie that they told. Now, Satan has a philosophy of man. He had a philosophy of Job. When God said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Perfect man, one who loves good, hates evil. Satan expressed his philosophy concerning Job. He says, does Job serve you for nothing? Job's a mercenary, God. The way you've blessed that fellow, a man would be a fool not to serve you the way you've blessed him. Why, you've given that guy everything he wants. Anybody would serve you for that. Job is a hireling. Job is a mercenary. He's serving you, Lord, for profit. Let me take away his riches. Let me take away his goods. He'll turn around and curse you. Satan took away his goods, everything he had, and he came back. And after Satan wiped him out completely, when the servant came with the last message, Job fell on his face before the Lord, and he said, Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going out. The Lord is given, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of these things, Job did not curse God, neither did he charge God foolishly. He didn't say, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care. He didn't charge God foolishly. So, Satan came back. Egg all over his face. His philosophy was proved wrong. God said, where you been? <laughs> So he said, oh, I've been cruising around the world, <laughs> going up and down, to and fro throughout it. Oh, wait a minute. Checked out my servant Job? Good man. God's doing a little bragging on him now. One who loves good, hates evil. Perfect man, upright. Now, Satan offers his second philosophy concerning man. It is this. Skin for skin, all that a man has will he give for his life. That's a pretty accurate evaluation of man. Life is the most precious possession that we have, and all a man has he will give for his life. Because if I don't have my life, then what good is it to have anything? So when it comes right down to it, your life is your most valued possession. That was Satan's philosophy. It is an accurate evaluation of man. He's had a long time to study human nature. 
And our psychologists will tell us that self-preservation is the strongest natural instinct that you possess. So they agree with Satan's evaluation. I don't know, maybe they were inspired. <laughs> now, you see the problem that you're facing. If a man will give all that he has for his life, and all of these men gave their lives because they had agreed together to the lie that Jesus was risen from the dead, if indeed he did not rise, but it was all a big hoax that they were perpetrating, you've got to somehow explain how that all of these men were willing to give their lives for a hoax. You've got to explain how they overcame man's strong, basic instinct of self-preservation. So you can choose to believe that the story of the resurrection is a hoax, or you can choose to believe that it was true. If you believe that it was a hoax, you've got some real problems with logic. If you believe that it is truth, then there is no problem. It all makes sense. And all of these guys bore witness of it. They said, we bear witness of this. So you're believing the mouth of witnesses. And if you're not willing to believe the mouth of witnesses, then we might as well throw out our whole jurisprudence system because our whole jurisprudence system is based upon the establishing of fact by the Testimony of witnesses. And so you get the witnesses that are agreeing together. This is what happened. If we can't believe their witness, then we really should establish a whole new system of jurisprudence. So you choose to believe, you choose not to believe that he rose from the dead. It's a matter of choice, strictly. But by choosing to believe that he did when you can gain so much, why would you be so dumb to choose not to believe in spite of all of the evidence? You know, you're taking it, but it just shows man's stubborn heart and foolish heart because he doesn't want to acknowledge God. A man is an agnostic not because God can't be known. God can be known. There are thousands that come to this church every week that will attest to you that God can be known. So a man is an agnostic not because God can't be known, but because the man has chosen not to know God. Because God is very close to every man. Salvation is very near. All you have to do is turn your life over to Jesus as Lord and just believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Paul takes this passage and he, and he shows how that God has dealt with us through this passage in a new way. Because the commandment that Moses speaks about here in the 16th verse is that you love the Lord your God and that you walk with him and that you obey all of his commandments and statutes and judgments. All right, I love God. And I want to walk with God. 
but my flesh is weak and I violated the commandments of God. So the addition that Paul makes by saying, if thou shalt confess by thy mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, that takes care of my failure. By that I am forgiven of my violation of the commandment. By that I am washed and cleansed from my sin. Thereby I have salvation. I have the life of God. That age-abiding life in Jesus Christ. So, Moses said, I call heaven and earth, verse 19, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life because it is a matter of choice. You choose to serve God, you choose to believe God, you choose to follow God, or you choose not to. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 30 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord put His hand upon your life. May you be strengthened in your walk with Him. May you begin to experience greater victories over those areas of the flesh that have dominated. And may you begin to experience more and more the power of God's Spirit within your life, giving victory. May the Lord be with you, and may the Lord keep you in His love during the time that we are absent from each other. And may you just grow in your knowledge of Him and in your fellowship. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Children love stories, so it is with great honor to tell you about a children's book written by Pastor Chuck called The Story of the Ten Commandments. Just listen to what people are saying. Cheryl Broderson. I love these stories, and it's a pleasure for me to know that you get to hear my dad tell you the very same stories that he told me as a child. Pastor David Guzik. 
I think that a book by Pastor Chuck is perfect for children because they'll sense the true love of not just a father, but a great grandfather and how much he loves to pass on the love of Jesus to a young generation. Pastor Poncho Juarez. I am so blessed to be part of this book by Pastor Chuck. I love it when kids read in their own level. I hope parents take advantage of this and may the Lord bless you. And as a gift, each book contains a CD of Pastor Chuck reading the story of the Ten Commandments. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD. Or to see a sneak preview of the book, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.